Hi, and welcome back to our next episode of Big Deep. Just a quick note before we start. After you've listened, if you like what we're doing, please subscribe, like, comment, and rate our show on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Those subscribes, likes, and comments really make a difference for our show. Okay, thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy what we've created. Welcome to Big Deep. Hi, and welcome to the Big Deep Podcast. Big Deep is a podcast about people who have a connection to the ocean. People for whom that connection is so strong, it defines some aspect of their life. Over the course of the series, we'll talk to all sorts of people. And in each episode, we'll explore the deeper meaning of that connection. In this episode, we talk to a marine biologist who was told by doctors she would never dive again and yet somehow still found herself at the bottom of the ocean. Hello, this is Paul Kelway. And I'm Jason Elias. Welcome to the Big Deep Podcast. Over the course of our series, both Paul and I will be interviewing interesting people we've come across who are in some way deeply connected to the world's oceans. In essence, something they've done has caught our attention. And so we reached out to them to talk a bit more about what they do and why they feel so connected to the water. In today's episode, I speak with Skylar Bayer, a marine biologist in Maine who I had been introduced to through a mutual friend. The reason my friend had thought that Skylar might be fun to talk to was because she had been featured on the Colbert Report a few years back. The segment they did with Skylar was pretty funny, and I liked her human intelligence, so thought she'd be a great interview. But after chatting with her, I realized her story had much deeper meanings about what it meant to dedicate to your life to getting in the water. Because even though doctors had told her she would never be able to scuba dive, she still made it to the bottom of the ocean. My name is Skylar Bear, and I'm a PhD in marine biology. Specifically, I study reproduction and a lot of invertebrates in the intertidal and subtidal of the ocean. Invertebrates are very much not like us as humans. They don't have vertebrate column backbone. So they're really, really interesting animals that we don't really know a lot about because we tend to study things with backbones because they're kind of like us and easier to understand. But they're also really important animals to our fisheries, to the ecology of oceans. I was also really interested in reproduction because when I was born, I had a congenital heart defect. So I was really fascinated from a young age. Why did I have a congenital heart defect and my brother didn't? So sort of this love of alien creatures in the ocean and how does reproduction work and how can we protect and maybe grow these populations that led me to where I am now. You study sea scallops, which are unlike any creatures on land. Is there something that have stuck with you? Like, that's really weird and I can't believe this lives in this world. Yeah, some weird things that fascinate me when it comes to sea scallops. For instance, they have tens to hundreds of eyes all along their mantle or sort of the edge of the shell when you look at them. And that is completely strange because <laughs> when we think of eyes, we think of a pair on a head. And that's pretty standard for a lot of animals. But why do they have so many? And no one knows actually why they even have those eyes. And why are they developed on the edge of their shell? Presumably it's to see something, but what we don't know, and why do they need so many? And they add them as they grow, too, which is also kind of strange. That's one example of something really strange in sea scallops. So in college, that was when I realized that invertebrates were really cool. 
when you're younger and a kid, dolphins and whales are really cool. Although I have to say one of the animals I used to draw a lot and be obsessed about was a giant squid. So I guess I've always liked mollusks just because they're so weird and interesting and different. My dad was a computer programmer, but he was sort of a former research scientist in grad school. And he was very encouraging of my interest in science and research. And so one year when I was six or seven, my dad and mom got me exploring the Titanic, which was all these pictures of the Titanic wreck and pictures of the submarine Alvin. And my first thought was like, well, what animals are down there? What animals ate the people, (laughs) all those bodies that went to the bottom? And that was sort of my fascination and obsession. And so there's a lot of influence in my early childhood of the wonder and exploration of the deep and all the possible animals that could be down there. There's just so much left to explore and discover. You had a parallel aspect of your life that was pretty profound, which was your health. Do you mind talking a little bit about what your health issues came from and how that shaped and affected what you do and how you do it? When I was born, I had this congenital heart defect. And this defect is called transposition of the great arteries. And I had a plumbing issue, right? Like my pipes had to be switched. So I was born and then I had surgery the next day and things were, you know, fine. I could do anything and everything anyone else could. And then when I was 25, I had just started my PhD program in Maine and I'd finished six months of learning how to be a scientific diver. And I really loved it. And the lab I joined was a diving lab. We used scuba diving as a tool to do a lot of the research, a lot of the experiments. And I got really, really sick that fall. It was the end of October. And I would get these weird little arrhythmias in my heart. And I felt really sick. Like I would sleep 12 hours a day and I wouldn't feel rested. And they did a bunch of tests and they said, In the halter monitor recording, while I was asleep, my heart had gone into 36 beats of ventricular tachycardia. The simplest way I can put it is it's like a fast rhythm that's on the way to ventricular fibrillation, which is one form of a heart attack. So I got admitted to the hospital. Part of me was like, well, maybe 25 years is all I got out of that. Maybe that's that's all I get. And then the second part about what was so awful about that was that they found out that I basically had really bad wiring in my heart. They told me that I couldn't scuba dive anymore. They said that this ended my scuba diving career. It was a really big blow for me. And, you know, I probably cried for hours. It was really devastating. I felt at 25, you're still young and you think that you can do things. It felt like I've had something taken away from me. Without my permission, without the time I thought I had. But... You don't go to school to get a PhD just so that you can be a scuba diver. And I realized one of the most famous scientists in the world is Stephen Hawking. And he does amazing research and is still a brilliant mind, even though he can't even speak. 
examples like that are helpful for thinking like, okay, I still really love science. I'm still really curious. And there's tons that people can do without actually being in the environment that they're studying. I think it made me a more serious scientist. I realized there is a deeper connection to the ocean environment than just being a scuba diver. But then years later, you had an experience which kind of brought you full circle and allowed you to go pretty deep in the ocean. Could you describe that experience for us, what it was like and what it meant to you? I went in the submarine Alvin in 2007, which fulfilled a lifelong childhood dream. DSV Alvin, or Deep Submersible Vehicle Alvin, is a three-man submarine. And I think technically it's owned by the U.S. Navy, but Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution uses it for a lot of their work, and it can go pretty deep. And Alvin, the submarine, is very famous for being the submarine they found the Titanic with. So when I was an intern as an undergrad in Dr. Lauren Molino's lab at the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution, or HUI as we call it, and they had a research cruise where they needed someone to go. I think the postdoctoral researcher in the lab couldn't make it. And so I got to go out of Manzanillo, Mexico. And it was to sites called Nine North. It's on the East Pacific Rise, which is a tectonic plate ridge out in the Pacific Ocean. It's west of Mexico. There's been a bunch of eruptions there that people have paid attention to in the deep sea along that ridge. There's a lot of really cool animals down there and deep sea hydrothermal vents. Hydrothermal meaning hot water. So there's all these hot water chimneys coming out along these these ridges. And the ridges kind of look like canyons. And sometimes you can see where the lava has paved everything over during these eruptions. But animals live down there. And a lot of these animals are crazy looking. A lot of them look kind of like ghost-like. And they tend to be white and they They all feed off of bacteria that feed off of the sulfur and other dangerous chemicals that come out of these vents, these hot water vents. We were studying these communities of animals that live down there, like these tube worms and crabs and limpets and snails and and all these interesting animals. They don't decide who's going in until the day or two before because the weather matters. You know, I got to go and I was really excited about it. And you're not supposed to wear any synthetics. You're supposed to wear cotton and wool, basically, in case there's a fire. It's this six-foot diameter sphere, and they fit three of you in there. And during the safety tour, they're like, okay, you know, here's like three days' worth of CO2 scrub, food and water in case you get stuck down there. And here are like the pouches that you pee in. And don't press this lever. And we're like, what does that do? And they're like, well, if you're stuck there for three days, then you can press the lever and it'll shoot the six diameter sphere you're in away from the sub all the way to the surface. And we don't know how fast that goes. And I remember thinking, great, I can't wait to die that way. I was really nervous. I was most nervous about the peeing thing because you go down there all day. It's like nine hours. It takes three hours to get to the bottom and then you spend three hours on the bottom and then three hours to get up. <laughs> so, you know, we get in in the morning and it's pretty cramped in there. 
and it's warm at first on the surface and and you're lifted by the A-frame of the boat and you're sort of wobbling from side to side and there are these swimmers, these guys in fins and bathing suits to make sure everything gets unhooked properly and one of them mooned us. And then, and then you start going down and you know it's like a very clear crystal white blue at the surface and then it gets darker and darker you're actually spinning in a circle just sort of in a spiral all the way to the bottom because of how it's weighted you're just pointing down and, and you don't feel it because everything kind of looks the same and it starts to get colder and colder down there At a mile and a half, that's how deep we went. You know, you sort of land in this canyon, the ridge, and it's pitch black, but then you have the lights on from the submarine. But if you didn't have the lights on, you wouldn't see a thing. So there's a pilot, and then there's the port side observer, and then the starboard side observer. And so I was the starboard side observer, which is the less experienced one. We started exploring the ridge. So there's also like markers where people have deployed gear, where they're putting out plankton pumps there. They're putting out plates to collect animals on. There's all this science going on there. And a lot of them are like bright yellow buoys so that when they pop up to the surface, eventually you can see them. So then you, you start seeing these squat lobsters and crabs they're bone white they're like ghosts and it's really like being in a canyon it's amazing how much of a ridge there is on either side and then finally you start seeing this water shimmer out of out of the seafloor and it's the hydrothermal vents as soon as you start seeing a lot of shimmering water you start seeing all these animals there's these purple looking fish and these tube worms. The tube worms look like strange rose gardens where there's sort of these white twisty branches almost. And then the gills on the worms themselves are these bright vivid red. So it always reminds me of a rose garden with white stems. And then you have all these little snails and limpets attached to all parts of the tube worm tubes and everywhere. And then you have these chimneys of shimmering water coming out. And then these ghost-like crabs. We got to explore a lot on my dive. And towards the end of the dive, like we'd done our deployments, we collected what we were supposed to collect. <laughs> the pilot says to me, Bruce, he goes, so is there anything you wish you got to see? And I was like, well, I'd love to see a Dumbo octopus. And then like 15 minutes later, a Dumbo octopus showed up. <laughs> you know, they look like Dumbo, except they're an octopus and they have their flaps that they're swimming with. And it came and sort of checked us out and we played with it with the arm manipulator on Alvin. The other thing I got to do when I was down there was call my dad the night before, Bruce was, is there anyone you want to call while we're there? We need to test the system. So I called my dad at work. And of course, the first question he asked me was, so, Sky, 
you see any giant squid down there? <laughs> no, Dad. It's hydrothermal vent. There are no giant squid at hydrothermal vent. <laughs> it's it like really, it was a good moment. I always tell people that it's one of the best days of my life. I felt like a real explorer and that curious feeling of being like excited and nervous and having a real sense of wonderment. And I got to fully experience that. And yeah, it's one of the best days of my life, I think. Finally, we often end our interviews by asking our guests a single open-ended question. What does the ocean mean to you? What does the ocean mean to me? The ocean means everything to me, which sounds crazy, but it, it means so many things. It means happiness. It means danger. It means curiosity. It means love. It means life. It means everything to me. Thank you for listening to the Big Deep Podcast. Next time on Big Deep. And then there's that view where you're hanging in front of that awe-inspiring sight. And it was such a peaceful, pure moment of just being deep and you're feeling one with the water, which is such an amazing element to feel one with. It's kind of like being one with a god. We really appreciate you being with us on this journey into the Big Deep as we explore an ocean of stories. If you like what we're doing, please make sure to subscribe, like, and comment on our show in iTunes, Overcast, SoundCloud, or wherever you catch your podcasts. But those subscribes and likes really make a difference. For more info on our guests, extra audio and photos, as well as updates on anything you've heard, you can find a lot more content at our website, bigdeep.com. Plus, if you know someone you think we should talk to, just let us know at the Big Deep website, as we are always looking to hear more stories from interesting people who are deeply connected to our world's oceans. Thanks again for joining us.